Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Do you have money sitting in the stock market and you're worried about it? Or worse, you have money sitting at the bank, not keeping up with inflation? My name is Charles Carrillo, founder and managing partner of Harborside Partners. And since 2006, I've been investing my money and my family's money into income-producing properties. These are real assets, real properties with real addresses that produce real cash flow. At Harborside Partners, we provide passive investors who love real estate with a turnkey investing solution. If you want to put your money to work in real estate but can't find deals, don't have the time to get funding, and the last thing that productive people want to do is manage real estate. We find the deals, we fund the deals, and we manage the tenants, the termites, and the properties. Partner with us at investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Go to investwithharborside.com. If you love real estate, you like the idea of passive income, and believe that income-producing properties will appreciate over time, go to investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Alex Olson. He's a multifamily buyer's agent in Kansas City, Missouri, and he focuses on helping 1031 exchange clients identify cash flowing deals, avoid capital gains while ensuring that their 1031 exchange money is secure. So thank you so much for being on the show, Alex. Oh, man, I'm glad to be here. This is gonna be fun. Yeah, definitely. So give us a little background on yourself, uh, both personally and professionally, prior to being involved uh, with what you are now in commercial real estate. Yeah. So prior to being an actual real estate agent, uh, I spent 15 years in the consumer finance space. So short-term loans. So that's where I learned a lot about lending and the power of leverage and not necessarily on who the customers were, but as just business uh, in general and operating that business. And then I became a real estate investor actually after building our dream home. My wife and I built our dream home and fell in love with just the financing aspect of it. The value the, the value of the home had inc increased by uh, 20, 30% just while we were building it because we've wow. done a pretty good job of uh, selecting the right vendors and, and selecting the right builder and all that kind of thing. And then we had a bunch of money and so we, you know, equity. And so we put that into real estate investments. And after a while after that, I really, even for 15 years, was always looking for a new day job. Uh, had some entrepreneurial stuff I was doing and, you know, throughout the years. And then it's like, took a big leap into getting my real estate license after a mentor of mine had convinced me that I don't have to do residential real estate sales. I can do commercial sales, which is what I had bought in the past. So um, got my license, actually met Logan Freeman, which I know has been on this show. Uh, and he really helped me uh, get into the buyer side of commercial real estate. But that's what I did before I became an agent was I was an investor, uh, real estate investor, and I, in the consumer finance space, you know, had employees and W-2 work. Nice. So you have a niche that's a little different. I mean, you focus on lying with buyers who are interested in purchasing commercial real estate, which is not the norm. I, I feel like most brokers out there are really focusing on lying with sellers to get listings. Um, mm -hmm. So why would you go this route with, I've seen people do this within residential. It's, it's not common. It's not normal. The biggest thing about it, but I, I see a lot of realtors that will do this during for buyers in residential, but why would you do it with commercial? That's a great question. And 
I think a lot of that comes down to the reality of a 1031 exchange and the client deadline uh, that the people are on. And we can talk about that later, but the, the aspect of working with a buyer is more how my brain is wired. I'm looking at how deals are good investments or bad investments versus how a seller perceives their uh, investments that they currently have. Now, admittedly, I think that we are leaving money on the table. You could probably make more money uh, representing sellers, but there's a lot of coddling and really kind of um, time spent with the seller. And so when we work with buyers, we can actually produce uh, and trade a lot more deals because buyers are, you know, they don't take a ton of time before going under, I mean, they take a ton of time before going on a contract, but once going under contract, we have all of our vendors lined up for them. We can really help them accelerate their buying opportunities. And to be frank, we don't have to listen to really what sellers want or worry about, hey, we need reports on this. You know, why isn't this selling? You know, and, and that's not something that I, my brain's really wired to work with. I'd rather work with a buyer that's building long-term wealth. Um, and we can do a ton of those transactions in a year. Whereas a seller, you might be able to do four or five, maybe six uh, transactions that are called $5 million each. Um, but, it, but again, you're really tied to that seller and we want to be focused on the, on the buyer side. Yeah, it's interesting because when selling, uh, especially with commercial properties, there's so much going back and forth prior to getting a contract. Where do we adjust the price? How do we get more people in there? Why isn't it, you know, why aren't we getting traction on what you, you know, what we thought before with this marketing channel and all this kind of stuff? And then when it goes under channel, uh, goes under contract, it's kind of, you know, it, it's it goes to a whole new thing. It's a whole new step in the process, but there's so much to get to that. So I understand exactly what you're saying because uh, with us selling properties right now, we're, we're constantly going through that um, and uh, having those conversations before stuff gets in our contract. So uh, it's very interesting. So a little, we've had somebody on the show prior, several months back on about 1031 deals. Can you explain briefly what a 1031 exchange is, uh, you know, 30,000 foot yeah, view? Absolutely. So 1031 exchange is a federal IRS guideline. Um, so that means it's state agnostic. So you can 1031 exchange in and out of any state. Uh, but what you're doing with that is you are selling a uh, real estate investment, can be any type of investment, and then deferring all your taxes to a later time by purchasing another investment that's at equal or greater value than what you sold your, your prior investment. We call that the down leg. So your up leg, your next property has to be equal or greater value. That's the easiest and best way to explain it. There's all, of course, little tricks yeah. and this is and that's so that you can get into and deal with. Um, but from there, then you have 40, from the moment you sell your down lake property, you have 45 days to identify up to three properties to exchange into. You can close on one or all three of those properties or one, two or three of those properties. Um, you know, and you have to close on those within six months of selling your down lake. So um, those are really hard and fast rules. Again, you can trade in and out of any state. So you can come from California to Missouri to Nebraska and in and out of any asset class. You can come out of uh, farmland and into apartments or apartments into commercial. Uh, none of that really matters to the IRS as long as you follow going out of a real estate investment and back into a real estate investment. Which keeps it as a like-kind investment as they kind of call it, right? Exactly. Like, uh -huh. yep. Nice. So 
this is you brought up the time frames, and this is something that um, has kind of pushed me off from doing 1031s previously. Is when you're working with a buyer, I mean, how do you structure it? Because you've done dozens of these successfully. So, how do you structure it if I mean, imagine the earlier they come to you that they're selling in another state or with you maybe or with another broker. Um, how do you structure the time frame so you can identify properties and purchase all in line with the 1031 rules? I mean, how does that like, do you have some sort of, we've got to look at this many properties. This is kind of where we have to start putting in offers. Does it tie the buyer's hands with the, I'm not going to say you're going to get a good deal where we are today, but with the deal that they're getting? Yeah, so the best you touched on the very beginning of that conversation was the sooner you come to somebody like us, the better, because we actually do sell a lot of properties for uh, people that are going to 1031 exchange into something else. Mm. We help them sell, but we also help them negotiate in the contract side to say, Hey, look, you know, me as Mr. Mr. Mrs. Seller, I have right to extend the closing date of this contract by 30 days or 15 or 45 days which therefore allows them an additional you know, month, month and a half to go out and find this replacement property. So that's a great strategy there. And then even if you're under a deadline, let's say you closed yesterday. So you have, let's call it 44, 45 days. We have a really good process of, of uh, funneling off-market deals to the, the buyer. And that's through a weekly deal flow email. We also have an off-market marketplace where the only way you can get access to those is through our website. And the reason why that's important is because there's not a ton of competition there. I'd love to say, hey, look, I've got a million members on this website, um, you know, but it's really just our vetted and experienced uh, buyers who have access to this website and, and our off-market deals. And then we also go through a, a lot of other pieces to it, right? We find you a local lender that we know could close out a deal because that's extremely important in today's marketplace. Uh, we also have insurance, local insurance agents that are able to get, you know, uh, market, you know, commercial market pricing, which is going to be a heck of a lot better than farmers or, you know, whatever you use for your normal residential uh, stuff, travelers. Um, and then we also have, you know, attorneys and property managers and all these different tools that we hopefully make the uh, buyer feel comfortable that, hey, look, you've got a team here that you can trust, get into this real estate project. And uh, hopefully it's going to be cash flowing better than what you had before. We can help you with different leverage options, all those kind of pieces to it uh, and really make them feel comfortable during that 45 day window. That's great. It's such a great niche because I don't hear, I hear very few, if any commercial brokers that really specialize in this, they say, Oh, we can, you know, you're selling something. They want to 1031 you into something else. And, but it, it's, you know, you want to go something better. You might want to go to a different market. Um, so it's, it's great what you have going on. Um, so, one of the things is when a buyer comes to you, and this is something I always like asking brokers, um, how do commercial buyers become credible in your eyes? Now, obviously, you're not spending that much time with them prior to going under contract in the sense of on every specific deal. But I imagine prior to you even showing them deals and moving forward and you know getting an LOI from and all that stuff, there's a lot of vetting, I guess you would say, or prepping, let's say maybe better that you're doing with buyers. So how do you, I mean, how are you becoming credible? How, do the, how does a buyer become credible with you? Yeah. So that starts with how they respond to our process. And, you know, buyer comes to us and says, Hey, look, I, uh, I'm on a 1031 exchange deadline. So we set up a call, then we provide them with some stuff that's available properties off market. 
even if they're going to be horrible matches for them, the point is we want to want to kind of show them what we have available. Um, we then provide them, you know, introductions to, like I said before, lender and property manager, whatever tools they need, whatever uh, team members they need to get a, a grasp for, are they actually reaching out to the property manager? Are they reaching out to the lender? Uh, and then from there, it's feedback from the buyer. That's the most important piece. You know, I think a lot of, of buyers uh, that are, you know, semi-experienced, they go out there and they want to talk to every broker in town. Totally fine with that. However, what happens is you're diluting your time across all brokers in the marketplace. And then you wonder why you don't get the attention you need. Whereas if you spend your time with a buyer uh, focused agent, you know, where you're providing feedback and you, and the, the broker can almost tell, okay, this person is pretty committed to this market. You know, they, they've committed and they've even told me, hey, look, I'm going to use you for my transaction here in Kansas City or Kansas, Missouri, or come similar to, to that kind of language. Uh, we don't ask for any buyer's representation up front. It's, that's not until we get into the actual deal process, uh, you know, after, after it's under contract, or I guess technically before it's under contract, we, we you know, get that out of the way. But uh, the main thing is just communication with the broker, constant communication with the same broker. And I think if you have somebody who truly does work with buyers, uh, maybe not all the time, but at least on the regular, then you, you know that, that particular broker is gonna have some deals for you to look at. And at that point, you have to go with what the market's there to give you. Interesting. Um, now, how do you do it for, that makes it professional in your eyes, when say you're getting offer that comes in and you're now have to sell that to the seller's broker. How are you, when you're presenting that offer, explaining to them in, um, you know, in a short, short summary of your buyer that they're going to be able to close, they're serious, I've, you know, I've vetted them, however that is. How, how do you make it so you're getting offers to the top of the pile uh, when we're in such a hot, hot markets here? Yeah, so that's one another thing. So we come in here, we make sure that you've got a pre-approval letter from a financial institution, uh, preferably local. Because local sellers, even if they're or even out of state sellers that have property here in Kansas City, you know they still like to see the local banks because they know they can close out deals better. Um, and usually, some kind of investor bio, even if it's a paragraph that says "I own these, you know, six, eight, twelve, fifty, hundred units," um, you know, and here's what I own, here's how I do business, those kind of things. Putting that in front of the seller or the seller's broker, and we say, "Hey, look, this is a package we vetted." You know, we've, they have a pre-approval letter. Not only do they have a pre-approval letter and we vetted them, they have every intent to close because guess what? They're on a 1031 exchange deadline, uh, which means that money's real. It's not just in their bank account and they have options that they can uh, do with that funds. So uh, I think that usually gets our offer to the top. Um, and, you know, sometimes it takes a couple different phone calls and a couple different, you know, text messages to, to walk that through with them. But um, we pride ourselves on yeah, bringing only true vetted. And the key to it, in, in my opinion, is the desire to close on that property. Yeah, having the 1031 is such a strong, I think, selling point too, because um, it, it's just something that they have to close. It's not, they're not kicking tires, they're buying something. And, um, you know, this is, that's how serious their offer is. And also, once they're in, they're most likely not going to uh, retrade over a couple percent, which is, you know, it's just another hassle for sellers and seller brokers that are now having to deal with this and say, hey, you know, 
this and that, you know, this is a you know little issue down here in, in the in the utility room they're having a problem with and you've got to do this. It's something I feel that they know going in, anything's better than paying taxes, right? So Right. <laughs> yeah, you're on the, you're under the gun, so to speak. And yeah. And, uh, and, you know, it's important to come in and, and show that. And, you know, I have clients, even when they're under a 1031 exchange deadline, and we do that part of the betting, like, are you under anything under contract right now to, to buy? You know, kind of those questions. What are the markets are you looking at? That way we can have confidence that who we're working with is committed to this market. Now, they don't have to be handcuffed to it, but the intent is there. And once in a while you hear key, you know, trigger words to a broker that's like, yeah, let me tie that up for a little bit. You know, put it under contract, tie that up. I'm like, eh, we don't tie anything up. You know, we put it under contract and we have every intent to close. So if you're looking for a broker that ties stuff up for you, that's not me. Yeah, yeah. That's it also is it kills your rep in your industry as well, where you are, because I've had it before where we've gotten offers from properties and the buyers just like fell right through. And I told my broker, I don't want, you know, they're like, oh, we have someone else for you, you know, for this property. And I'm like, I, you know, we're not accepting any more offers from from that broker you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's like yeah you're like i'm not dead. i'm not wasting my time yeah i don't care if it's a few percent off or anything like i just we're here to sell a property i'm not here to like you know just accept the offer sign them send them back and they don't get signed you know what i mean so mm -hmm. um so let's see like i have a question with just to just popped up on nowhere but like a 1031 if if i'm selling my property and can i put another property under contract prior to selling my first prop you know the property that i'm uh, laying down, let's say, as you said it. Um, yeah. Yes, you absolutely can. I think the the key there is if you're going to do that, let's say your property doesn't close for 30 days, even let's just say that you're selling. Um, you know, first thing you look at is, okay, do I have the capability, the true capability to close out this other property I'm putting under contract if this other property falls through? Um, if you have that ability, then at least, you know, that's a couple check marks that you have in your favor. Um, and this is just from a, an industry perspective, nothing to do with the laws and IRS or anything like that, because you absolutely can put anything you want to under contract. Um, but but uh, from how it looks to a per prospective seller on the other side. And, and so the answer is yes, you can definitely do that. And then you the closer you get to being past escrow or due diligence being up or whatever, the more and more confidence you're going to have as a seller to know that, Hey, your property is going to close. And we even coach people to, to do that, right. Is once you're past due diligence, now let's take a look and see if there's anything we want to put an offer on right away, because you have a 90%, 95% chance of getting this other, maybe even higher than that 99% chance of closing because you're past due diligence and, and the money's hard to the uh, the buyer at that point on your side. And so we can go ahead and get this thing closed out and get your other property under contract and move on. Yeah, no, that's, that's some great information there. Um, so Alex, working with a lot of buyers over the years, what are common mistakes you see real estate investors make? I guess if they were buyers or sellers in the transaction or if they were not even you know party to what you're doing with the transaction. Biggest mistake is getting um, too principled in nature. Uh, and I'm not saying that to try and make things, you know, to, to say, hey, look, everything needs to be easy. But you get into a deal, you've got a $2 million property you're selling. And the buyer comes back and says, hey, look, there's some life safety issues that need to be taken care of. And it's $15,000. Um, at that point, you go, okay, is it really $15,000? And you're weighing all these different options in your head. I'm not saying you accept the $15,000, but what you should be thinking about is, 
what's it worth it to me to get this thing over the edge? Maybe there, maybe I think the property is perfect. You know, you as a seller, this property is perfect. There's nothing wrong with this thing. I replaced all the smoke detectors, no life safety issues. But then you go, okay, you know what? Who cares? It's fifteen, five, seven thousand dollars. Let's sell this thing and move on so we can get into a bigger, better property. Um, so that's the biggest mistake. And I've seen it happen time and time again. Usually we can get past those, um, but sometimes there are very bullheaded buyers or sellers that they can't get past. And then I would say probably nine times out of 10, I get a text call or email from them and say, hey, remember that property that you know we were under contract on that you know, I, I didn't close. I mean, they don't use these exact words, but basically what they're saying is um, that we didn't close on. Um, I saw it was on the market for $400,000 more this year than last year. And I say, yeah, market's gone up and, you know, there's real opportunity there. We just kind of missed out on it. So um, you got to be thinking about the long-term uh, aspect of the, of the property that you're selling and that you're buying, to be frank. So that's the biggest mistake. Um, the other big mistake is coming into it on a 1031 exchange and having unrealistic expectations before you put your property up for sale that you're going to sell, understand what the market conditions are knowing right now, for example, today is, uh, what is it? April 26 or whatever it is, you know, interest rates are kind of high um, compared to where they were six months ago. However, they're also still not that high compared to where they were, you know, in the early 2000s. So um, you got to think about where the market is, where the market's going, um, and a lot of people come in and they just don't, they've forgotten, you know, they think it was like what it was two, three years ago. It's not. The other thing too, is uh, when you're selling the condition of your property, the actual condition of your property, you know, like some people are like, Oh, you know, it's perfectly fine. Well, I mean, it's perfectly fine. Maybe as you say, your tenants feel it's perfectly fine, but there's some, there's some issues there that are going to have to be taken care of. Uh, maybe not this week, but in the next one to three years. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, so it's like knowing that and being aware and realistic with the condition of your property, I find with some sellers is that, um, and I, you know, I, I'm guilty of myself to an extent too, you know what I mean? There's stuff you don't really look at, everything's running fine and it wasn't something you're focusing on. So you really have to know and do your own kind of due diligence inspection prior with your agent and get an idea of what your condition actually is. And, hey, this is what we're going to have to get fixed beforehand. And this is what we're going to have to do if during due diligence, you know, so. Exactly. Yeah. Just be prepared and, and be reasonable. That's why I tell both buyers and sellers, the key to successful real estate transaction is being reasonable. So what do you think are the main factors that have uh, contributed to your success, Alex? Uh, A lot of, you know, the main factors is just, you know, uh, building relationships. And, and then the number one factor is cold calling, to be frank. Uh, And it's more or less, you know, rephrased as smart calling or warm calling. And I call uh, as many sellers as I can throughout the year, throughout the week. Um, I say sellers, really property owners. And just, I don't ask them to sell necessarily. It's all about building the relationship. What's their next step with this property? Are they leaving it to their kids? You know, are they going to sell it in a couple of years? And and just kind of building those relationships through smart calling uh, over time has been the best piece of success for me. And then secondary to that, of course, is, building off existing relationships that you have, uh, taking really good care of your referral sources, um, taking really good care of your clients and, uh, you know, just trying to be an open and honest person. And and again, like I said earlier, you know, being reasonable. So how can our listeners learn more about you and your business, Alex? 
Yeah, my website at exchangecre.com is going to have a lot of our information there. Um, you know, if you want to see off-market deals, we have a marketplace that you can only get access to through our website, through those deals. Uh, LinkedIn, I love communicating on LinkedIn. I'm posting on there often. Uh, you can see what we're up to here in Kansas City. And then email me at alex at exchangecre.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and uh, looking forward to connecting with you in the near future. Thanks, man. It's great to be here. Talk to you soon. See ya. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.